The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. It's time for the movies now. And Ro McDermott, movies editor with Hot Press, is with us. And Ro, before I talk to you, I'm going to play a clip from the trailer for Fisherman's Friends, One and All, which features Imelda May, because Imelda was with us on the programme recently. Let's hear it. He made the papers. On a scale of one to ten, how bad is it? Eleven. With success comes responsibility. Come on, get out of here. That's some performance you did yesterday. I've done some crazy things in my time too. I don't think I'm cut out for being in the spotlight. The fan club's been inundated with people wanting to be the new fisherman's friend. When father died, the band died with him. I am sailing! They want you, they want you, they want you as a new recruit. No, we bloody don't. Santiano won the day heave away All along the plains of Mexico Please welcome our newest member of the band, Morgan Jenkins. Well, you've had it right up to here. Father would be spinning in his grave. I twang! Time to cut them loose. Are you lost? Fancy cuppa? Don't suppose you got anything stronger, have you? I could add an extra tea bag. Yeah, I stood on Cape Cormor. All I ever wanted to be was a fisherman. In the sun's evening glow. Can't hide from the world forever. You're not the only one who's hurting. Your father has a chance to live on through song. Some things are worth breaking cover for. Okay, so Fisherman's Friends 1 and All is a sequel, isn't it? It's a sequel. So this is a sequel to Fisherman's Friends, which is out in 2019. So this is the true story of a group of Cornish fishermen and coast guards who uh, embraced sea shanties in their local Cornish town and were down the pub constantly singing these songs. And when a city slicker manager arrived, kind of recognised their talent and took this unlikely group of pop sensations, actually managed to get them a number one album. So the first film was really warm. It was kind of a nice combo of underdogs, coming together a la The Full Monty and a city slicker whose heart melts in a Cornish town a la Local Hero. Now, the the initial film was really warm. It was lovely. It was kind of by the books. It was very generic. It was kind of a nice Sunday afternoon film. And there were some things that annoyed me about it a little, or that felt like they weren't living up to the, the film's potential, particularly the music. Because a lot of the music in the first film, they had some really nice sea shanties, but they didn't lean into that and they kind of relied on pop songs to make up for the emotional beats of the film and rely too much on these kind of generic hits coming in, telling you how to feel about this. And here is where this version of the film, the sequel, it really embraces the music of this. It returns to some of the characters that we met in the first one, uh, including James Herfoy and his son. It introduces this lo- the lovely Imelda May and it really builds on this sense of community and really genuine emotion that was kind of lacking in the first one well, as it went by a generic feel-good film by numbers. So would you recommend it? I think this is lovely. I think it builds on everything that was nice and potential filled with the first film but didn't quite read it, reach, reach the full feel-good, really, really heartwarming, swelling emotion that we really, really wanted. I think another thing from the first film, it's set in Cornwall, which is such a beautiful part of the country, um, except they didn't embrace that in the cinematography. They didn't capture the romance of the sea, the romance of the countryside, and they really embrace that and make the countryside, this community, feel really idyllic 
for but you. But there warm. was a story to the first movie, wasn't there? It was a real life based story. Is there a good enough story for the second movie? The story is kind of thin on the ground. It's again about this community. It's about what's happening to these fishermen, how they create their community, how they stay together, what the, how they're grappling with this newfound fame that was very unexpected. All of these men, I think in the first film, there's a collective age of the group of something like 678. <laughs> um, so it's about them grappling with this and, and it's about this town trying to hold on to its sense of community while the modern world is creeping in. So again, it's a slight story, but I think the emotion is there in a way that was missing slightly from the first film and it works really, really well. And Imelda May, so charming, so lovely. So she's such a beautiful on-screen presence and I really, really hope that this really propels her into major works because she's such a delight to have on screen. She just brings a charm and a sass and a wit and an intelligence to all her roles. So I really, really am excited for her. Okay, great endorsement. Orphan, First Kill, is this also a sequel? This is, well, it's a prequel and oh. the most unexpected prequel you could think of. So if people saw the first one that was released a few years ago. It's a long uh, time back, it was 2009. 2009 it? and featured Isabel Furman, who was a young girl when she started in this film, except the big spoiler, if you haven't seen the film by now, you're not going to see it, so I'm going to give a big spoiler. The big twist in the film was this young girl who was adopted by a family actually turned out to be a 33-year-old psychopath who had invaded this family and had a rare uh, disorder that made her look like a child. But at the end of the movie, stuff got goes down, stuff happens, this, these, this character is not coming back. So instead they do a prequel and they talk about her origin story, um, which is a really interesting way to start a film. Also interesting to have a now 25-year-old playing a 33-year-old who's playing a 10-year-old. So it's kind of complicated you've lost on me the there, you need to do honours maths for that. <laughs> um, but what I really like about this film, what's kind of fun and schlocky about it, it is, it's a prequel, it's moving back in time, but it almost feels like it's moving back in time in terms of the genre that it's embracing. It really embraces the 90s thriller kind of psychosexual a little bit camp vibe so we have Isabel Furman. it starts off she is in an institution people know that she's like an adult woman people know that she's hyper violent but she escapes and she poses as the missing child of a wealthy American family who the mother is played by Julia Stiles um, and she poses as their missing daughter and they readily accept her even though she's been missing for a long time she suddenly looks different she suddenly has an Estonian Russian accent and what I think is really interesting is that they're playing on a couple of true stories here. They're playing on the story of Frederick Bourdain, who people might remember from the documentary The Imposter a while ago, who was a 35-year-old Frenchman who posed as a 13-year-old American boy and looked at why the family believed this, why they went along with this. So it delves into kind of the family psychology. Um, it's really schlocky. It's a bit campy. It's a bit fun. There are familiar beats from the first film. So we have uh, Isabel kind of fancying her very nice adoptive dad in a very creepy way. We have a protective mother, we have a suspicious brother. So it's following some of the beats of that film but it really plays it. The performances Julia Stiles in particular, she really knows what kind of film this is. She heightens up the kind of twisty, you don't understand everybody's motivations, let's go for a bit of a twist here vibe to it. So I will say Isabel Furman in the first film was a child playing someone who's meant to look like a child. She now looks like an adult woman and everyone's pretending she still looks like a child. But they kind of play with that too. They have child actors who are coming in. They use forced perspective. And sometimes they give a bit of a wink going, we know you know we're swapping someone in here. So I think if you don't take this film too seriously, if you enjoyed the twistiness of the first one, it's good fun. If you're looking for a very intelligent kind of subtle horror, this is not for you. This is if you want something campy and twisty and silly and fun, a little bit dark, it's good crack. Let's talk about the death of one of Germany's most famous movie directors, the man who made Das Boot. 
this is uh, Wolfgang Peterson. Yeah, so of course it became really, really famous in 1981 with Das Boot, which is this really claustrophobic, really intriguing drama about a U-boat during World War One. won multiple Oscars, became a really acclaimed television series, was adapted. But he had such an interesting career because a lot of uh, directors might burst into the Oscars and win for foreign language film and then never really stay in the mainstream. But he really did. He followed it up with a completely different film. He followed it up with something that I think a lot of people remember from their childhood, a seminal film, which was Never Ending Story. Which well, I, well, we play a clip from that, because it was a fantasy do. movie, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And in this clip, Bastion, played by Barrett Oliver, realises the connection between himself and the world of Fantasia, and that he's the only one who can save the magical land. He doesn't understand that he's the one who has the power to stop it. He simply can't imagine that one little boy could be that important. Is it really me? Maybe he doesn't know what he has to do! What do I have to do? He has to give me a new name. He's already chosen it. He just has to call it out. It's not real. It's only a story. A train, no! A train! Bastion. Why don't you do what you dream, Bastion? But I can't. I have to keep my feet on the ground. Call my name. Is that one of your childhood favourites? Oh, I'm just so glad. If anyone remembers the scene of Artex the horse sinking into the swamp of sadness, it traumatised me for years and I believe a generation. But I think what that shows, like how different to Das Boot in terms of tone. And I think that was the incredible thing about Wolfgang Peterson. He went from Das Boot to Never Any Story, had a couple of flops which shattered an enemy mine, but then recovered with some incredible seminal action movies. He had In the Line of Fire with Clint Eastwood. He had Air Force One with Harrison Ford. These are really big movies. He did the Perfect Storm with George Clooney as perfect well, was just on the cusp of grasping all these incredible stars doing incredible action movies but also made a film in 1995 about an Ebola outbreak called Outbreak and that became one of the most watched films on Netflix during Covid so his film has always had this resonance they will last on so yeah a great director to be mourned Ron McDermott Movies Editor with Hot Press thank you for joining us The Last Word with Matt Cooper Weekdays from 4.30 Today.